now you're gonna bring it up and and just put salt on the wound will you stop yelling at me no live in the entertainment capital of the world no no you're making me nervous but seriously it's the tc martin show no listen Is there a uh, question? you're making me nervous diagnosis oh and a foul prognosis well that's good osmosis and they'll reset Novitsky again for the lead Bang! it's the doctor tc martin Glad to have you with us, middle of the old work week on a Wednesday. We are days away from letting the madness begin, March Madness NCAA Tournament. And it looks like all the teams are healthy, relatively healthy. No alternates make it. That's right. No No alternates are in. We got the original teams. Now remember, they said you only need five to play. So we don't know how many Virginia and Kansas are showing up with. And Virginia hasn't been able to practice. There's still in Virginia. They won't travel till Friday. Yeah, but you're talking but, yeah. practice, man. It's practice, man. Who needs to practice? <laughs> just the NCAA tournament. After all, we just got beat by Maryland Baltimore County last time we were doing this thing, right? And, <laughs> Think and, about that. And it's not like they need practice when they're going to an unfamiliar gym that they probably haven't played in before or nothing like that. It's yep. just basketball. That's it. Still 94-foot court. <laughs> 10-foot baskets. That's why and we've talked about this the last <laughs> couple days. I just don't know how you can make a line on Virginia. And I understand the line opened at 10 over Ohio mm-hmm. U and it's down to 7.5, but I'm, I don't want any part of that game. I want no part of that game. We don't know. Is it players? Is it coaches? Is it statisticians? Who's affected? We don't know. They're not telling us. But uh, I'll I'll pass on that game. You know, I'll pass for now. All right. A lot to do. A lot to cover on the show today. Yes, plenty of March Madness to talk about. And also, UNLV basketball. We are going to be touching on that as well, too. As a report say that T.J. Otzelberger is leaving UNLV after two seasons to accept the job at Iowa State. Now, this is a story that has been out there for the better part of, I don't know, the last five or six days. And honestly, I haven't given much credence to it at all. Because, again, I don't like to react to rumors or people saying, well, here's a story or whatever. And... I had some people ask me over the weekend, they go, well, what do you think about T.J. Altsberger, you know, leaving UNLV to, to go to Iowa State? And my thought is, and what I said then and I'll say now, is I understand from his perspective, okay? Iowa State had a horrendous year this year. They were 0-18 in conference play, 2-22 and overall. And Iowa State has had some great teams. They're a perennial team that goes to the tournament year in and year out. They're, they're almost always competitive. They, they have a great program. They always have. Okay? And they've had some very, very good coaches. And I thought this year was just kind of a one-off. It was an aberration for them to be this bad. But it was COVID. And Steve Prom did not do a real good job. They didn't have the players. But like we talked about last week, they were competitive. It's not like they were getting blasted and blown out. It wasn't like Chicago State. but They damn near beat Baylor. Yeah. Exactly. So it is still a very, very good program. I understood why T.J. Otzelberger would want to have that job. He spent eight years there under three different coaches 
as an assistant coach. And, and a lot of people say that he was the reason that they got the quality players they did. You could make that argument, okay? Um, and again, he has ties to the university, has ties to the community. His wife was a basketball player at Iowa State. So I know that he really enjoyed his time there. And then, you know, he wanted to be a head coach. So therefore, he went off to South Dakota State, built that program, you know, up. And then, of course, got the UNLV job, you know, two years ago. So it wasn't that, for me, it was, I understand why T.J. Altsberger would want that job. My thing was, I don't know why Iowa State would want him. Now, I know that he's still friends with the athletic director there, Jamie Pollard. I get that. They've stayed in contact. But if you're looking at the job that he did here at UNLV over the past two years, I, I just don't see what is attractive there. So this is a situation where you're buying into a guy that you've known a long time. There's a friendship. There is a belief there that, okay, this guy can be a head coach here, even though he didn't have really that much success at UNLV, and had some success, I'll say marginal success, at South Dakota State. But then again, you're not going to make that jump from probably South Dakota State to to Iowa State. And um, again, they had their head coach at that point in time. So again, really didn't put much credence into the story, but now it is gaining legs. T.J. Altselberger and UNLV, Desiree Reed-Francois, not wanting to comment on this. Uh, when people did ask T.J. Altselberger about this during the, the mid, uh, Mountain West Conference Tournament, he basically said no comment, which made you think, okay, maybe there, there could be something to this. But again, I'm not a guy that likes to just run and say, oh, hey, this rumor's out there and this and that, okay? Y- you have to have some credible sources. So when CBS is saying that, okay, this is more than likely a done deal. Okay, now we can talk about it. So it is a story, obviously. And for me, the bigger story isn't TJ Otzelberger going to Iowa State. It means that UNLV will be doing a coaching search for the fifth time in five years. Now think about that. I mean, it's been a revolving door of coaches since Dave Rice left in 2016. So since Dave Rice was fired mid-season in 2016, got to remember, and the reason why I come up with there were, you know, you're you're doing a head coaching search for the fifth time in 5 years is because you got to remember, Mick Cronin was offered the job by Tina Kunzer Murphy, offered the job. He accepted the job. Then he turned down the job once he got back to the University of Cincinnati. And his athletic director said, wait, wait, wait. We've got a new facility here, this and that. We'll bump you up in, in, in money. Fine. But he was offered the job. He accepted the job. And Tina told me that, and I believe her. Then he turned down the job. Then they hired Chris Beard. He was offered the job. He accepted the job. He was actually hired. Then he left after three weeks. <laughs> went, went, went down to Texas, I believe. Yeah, Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech. Yeah. Now, again, here's a guy. Wanted to go back to a place where he's an assistant coach. Had a lot of ties there. Very similar to this situation with T.J. Altselberger. But that was a weird situation where everything started, the dominoes started falling into place for him to get that job because Tubby Smith left, and that created an opening. Okay, well, who's the guy? That's going to be Chris Beard, and it's worked out very nicely for them. He's recruited that area, been an assistant coach there, made sense. So he had the job here. And was actually working out with players for approximately three weeks. 
Then the coaching search goes on again, and Marvin Menzies is hired. He's fired after three seasons. T.J. Otzelberger is hired in 2019. And here we go, as it looks as of now, two years later, he is leaving the program, and this process will start all over again. Crazy, crazy times here. All right, so a lot to do. I wanted to bring in Curtis Terry, the former UNLV running rebel, to join us here on this matter. As well, we'll talk some uh, March Madness with Curtis. Obviously, Curtis still, you know, once a rebel, always a rebel, but very involved as well, doing the color commentary on the UNLV radio network. Curtis, what's going on, my man? Man, man, man. Uh, nothing. All is good over here at the Terry household. You know what I mean? Inside our confines. Uh, outside of there, it seems like it's a, a lot of. March Madness going on in Vegas, uh, but not the good kind, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, Curtis, when you've heard the rumors for this for quite some time, now, like I said, it's it's starting to get some legs. Uh, give me your thoughts about this and any inclination that this was going to happen when you first heard about the rumors being around the UNLV program as you are. No, and, and let me let me preface everything by I mean this is I do not have any inside information. I'm not that guy. Um, I don't I don't like to leak stuff. I, if I knew anything, I wouldn't even share it. Right. Uh, this is all just me as an alumni. I'm taking off the you know what I mean that the hat of being in in the program and with those guys. This is me as an alumni. Um, but I mean when when there was I think there was whispers for a long time. But I think I mean, looking back, I mean everybody knows what TJ's relationship with is with Iowa State. He was there for I believe like eight or nine years. They had great success there under McDermott under Hoiberg. Um, I think it was, I mean, expected and kind of, I mean, a foregone thought that he would at some point end up there, and rightfully so. Um, now, with that said, as of right now, unless I missed something in the last, I don't know, hour or so, uh, since I've been kind of chasing down the kids and getting them back in school after lunch, um, as of I know that it's nothing is complete yet. So there's nothing that is final, that is confirmed, that is signed, that TJ is actually gone. So with that said, for me, I, I mean, hope TJ stays. Um, if that's a possibility, if it's still in the cards, I think TJ's a great coach. I, like I said from day one, I think TJ's the right guy for the job here at UNLV to continue building on what they did last year. This year was a little rough, obviously, but I think he's the right guy, the right type of coach to get the running Rebels program back on track. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, if Iowa State obviously, you know, I mean, wants to come in and try to pluck a coach, it's always it's always good that people want what you have from that standpoint because clearly you've got somebody or something that's doing the right thing. Um, it's just unfortunate from this standpoint that um, they're going to take the coach that we believe is you know, I mean, uh, on the on the epitome of, of kind of building this thing back up to where it needs to be. Um, so from that standpoint, that's hard to swallow. Now, what kind of happens over the next few days or however things go, we'll see. But uh, I still believe in TJ. I think TJ is a great coach. I think TJ is a good guy. Um, I think he was the right coach, uh, the right hire for this position two years ago. Uh, now, if we have to go back through the search process again, so be it. But uh, we'll kind of see how that plays out from that standpoint. Uh, I guess here sooner than later. I mean, a lot of people will look at this like, okay, why TJ Otzelberger? And again, I understand why TJ would want this because, again, he's going back to a place where he served eight years as an assistant coach. He loves the community. His wife was a player there. He loves that community. And let's face it, it is. It's a major step up. It is a Big 12. It's a Power 5. And plus, his salary will probably be tripled You know, there at Iowa State. So I get that from from his standpoint. But if, if people are looking like, well, okay, this guy's 29 and 30 at UNLV, and that's really not a, a, a good place to go get a coach to get a step up here and, and, and to be in the Big 12. But this is clearly a relationship deal. It's not about his record. It's not about you know what type of coach 
that, that he's been here at UNLV or even South Dakota State for that matter. I believe, Curtis, that even if this opening happened two years ago, he would probably be considered because of the ties that the AD, Jamie Pollard, has with T.J. Osberger because they have stayed friends from what we've heard uh, over the time. You mentioned the coaches that he's coached under, Greg McDermott, Fred Hoiberg, and Steve Prom. This is still a very good program as well. Throw out their record this year. Throw out everything that, that's happened. This is still a great job to have. But I think you know, for a lot of people here, they're looking at it like, okay, here's another coach that's that's leaving for greener pastures, and you really can't blame TJ. It's just like the Chris Beard situation. You know, he had full, every uh, intention of coaching here, but when alma mater slash former place that you're very comfortable with opens up in a Power Five, you are going to take that job. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing to take a look at. I mean, obviously there's a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings involved in these types of situations and decisions. But I think at the at the core root of it, just like in anything, and, and you know this, TC, it's it's who you know, not what you know, right? And obviously, a lot of relationships um, and positions are, are built and given and, and earned through relationships and knowing the right people and being in the right place, right time. Um, and I don't think this is any different. But I, I mean, I do give TJ credit for for what he did at Iowa State under those previous coaches. I mean, he he helped build them up. They were a power in the Big Twelve. Uh, numerous NCAA tournaments. They sent numerous guys to the NBA, and obviously, uh, because of that, he was able to, to earn a head job at South Dakota State and had success there with the group, um, and rightfully so. You know, he came to UNLV um, in hopes of kind of building the same thing that he did at South Dakota State. Now, just because he didn't or did, didn't have the time to do so, I mean, last year, nobody can deny the success that they had last year, especially at the end of the year, they were starting to put it together. They knocked off number four, San Diego State, and coming into this year, expectations were high. And I think those were well-deserving. I think, obviously, this year was impacted by COVID, not just for the Rebels, but across the country in college basketball and college sports in general. And I think that played a big factor into it. But it's tough to sit here and say, well, why did he leave? I mean, regardless of 29 and 30, I mean, the guy's a good coach. Now, because if you don't have the pieces or it doesn't play out or, I mean, Marvin gets hurt, I mean, those things all play into the record. And I think this year record is least important. And I think that was proven by the NCAA tournament selections because it's all across the board or even teams that just barely missed out. Um, and maybe we're kind of hovering around 500. Um, but I think, I think if it does ha- happen, I think it's good for TJ, obviously. Um, who can blame somebody for wanting to go home, so to say, right? I mean, that's where you kind of get you, you earn your you earn your stripes, cut your teeth. That's just like, like hypothetically, if I was coaching and, and UNLV came knocking, it didn't matter where I was, I would come home immediately, right? Um, right. Because that's home. I um, mean, I think that's that stands for a lot of people. If they have that opportunity to get their dream job um, or to continue their 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 working their dream job, but they get to do it at the company that they want to do. I mean, who wouldn't jump at those types of opportunities? And it's wrong for people to sit there and say that he shouldn't do that. Now, what he's going to do, he's a grown man. I respect TJ. I like TJ. Um, I wish nothing but the best for him if he does move on. I hope he stays again. Um, but I think it's about now UNLV finding the, I mean, the, the next best opportunities out there for the rebuilding this program if it does come out, in fact, that TJ is going to leave, um, which, like we said, as of right now, nothing is set in stone. Um, and me personally, I hope he doesn't. But like I said, we'll see what happens. All right, former Run Rebel Curtis Terry joins us. T.C. Martin along with Frank Harnish. Curtis, when it comes to the UNLV program, and certainly this used to be one of the elite programs in the country, now they are searching for a coach once again. We've talked about that a bit. 
Who do you see as maybe some of the potential candidates? Because I know a lot of names are already floating around out there. Some may be realistic, some not realistic. Uh, there is the money thing in- involved that, you know, maybe they can't get as much as some other places, although TJ was the highest paid coach in the Mountain West, I believe. But who do you think might be a good fit, and when do you think they would want to get this done? Because if he is going to leave, it's probably best that he leaves as soon as possible so UNLV can get that serious search on with the tournament just starting up. Right, and, I, and good question. And for me personally, out of respect to TJ, out of respect to Desiree, mm-hmm. out of respect to the university and the athletic department and the UNLV basketball program, I'm not going to throw candidates out there because as of right now, TJ Otzelberger is still the head coach of UNLV. Now, if it comes out in days later and things change and he is not in that position, then I would I would be you know I mean, willing to circle back and kind of throw my thoughts out there. But as of right now, TJ is still the coach until you know I mean, we're all officially told otherwise. It's a lot of speculation. Um, but I think the one thing that we do need at UNLV, and this is with TJ uh, in, in the past and moving forward, we need continuity. We need some stability. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that the program has lacked um, over the last, I mean, obviously five, six years, ever since Coach Rice left. Um, but when we had success under Coach Kruger and in through Coach Rice, it was because of stability. Having guys that are going to be here for multiple years, um, having coaches that are going to stick around, that all plays into building a good program. And so I think at the core of it, you have to have stability, just like if it's a company. If you're switching out CEOs, CFOs, every once in a while, things are going to be a little rocky and up and down. But I think the biggest thing is to, to maintain some kind of continuity and stability within the basketball program. Because my biggest fear as an alum is that uh, when somebody leaves, and I, I respect and I'm happy for guys when they do get better opportunities, um, is that you always have to hit the reset button. And everybody knows, just like when you're playing video games, when you hit reset, you start all over. Um, and, and you kind of wipe the slate clean. And I think that's the one thing that, that keeps biting UNLV in the butt is that we've had to hit reset so many times. Um, and it, it, it dates back to the last couple of hires. But it's, I think it's a different situation this time than opposed to when uh, when Chris Beard was here because I was around for those times as well. I was on coach, coach's staff, Coach Rice's staff, when that all that kind of happened. Um, but again, Nobody blames him for that because if you're going home to your dream school, who's going to hold you? Who's going to hold your hands to the fire in those types of situations and scenarios? When we look at UNLV, and again, it's not to bash the school or the program because we all love UNLV. But I mean, to be fair, UNLV hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since 2013. We understand the fan base is is very impatient. Program has deteriorated over time. The records have been worse since that time of 2013. Conference success has waned. There has been no postseason for nearly a decade. The fan base has dwindled, as we've seen in, in you know throughout this year, obviously, but at the Thomas and Mack Center. Uh, and you probably have already stated you know why this is happened in your opinion curtis because of the stability but any other reason why do you think that uh that the program has fallen off this far in this amount of time uh, well, I don't. I mean, it's it's, and I think my pers- my perception or my pers- perspective of, of kind of where the program stands is probably different than than the general fan or person that's kind of followed the program for years. I mean, it's just because you come from different places and see different things. But I, I think a big part of it is uh, a change in leadership. Obviously, when 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 Tina Cousin Murphy was the AD and when she left and when Desiree comes in, obviously you're going to have a transition period of trying to get your coach in here or if the coach that's there is not yours and kind of giving them a chance and moving on and look like that kind of happened when you move from Marvin Menzies to TJ Otzelberger. Uh, but, again, I think it goes to that stability um, and building a program. And I think, for me, I've always had the vision. Now, I may be naive, which I can be at times, but I think I'm very level-headed and very realistic. Um, but when Coach Kruger was here, it was about a family sense. It was about continuity, stability, um, and it was about building a program. And I think that's the biggest thing that you have to do in terms of building a college basketball program to maintain success 
uh, for the long run and for the duration is to have guys that are going to be around two, three, four years. I think unless you're the Kentuckys, the Dukes, the Kansases, the North Carolinas, those are really, let's be honest, those are really the only teams that get the true one-and-done type players that are going to make an impact in that one-year leave, and they're going to be able to retool and do it again year after year. I don't think UNLV is that type of program. Um, I don't know if it will ever be that type of program moving forward in the future, but that doesn't mean we can't have sustained success. But then again, it comes back to what is said person's definition of success. To me, I would define success at UNLV as – in the tournament, three out of five years, winning the conference championship or being you know, top two, three in the conference, uh, four out of five years, uh, and consistently you know, making a run in the NCAA tournament you know, every two years or so, you know, every two to five years. So if you're making the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight, that's, let's be real, that doesn't happen for every program year in and year out, but you're going to put it together when you've got that group of guys that's been there three, four years, and you put it together and you might make it their junior or senior year. But then you might come back to the tournament the next two, but not, might not make a run, you know what I mean, past that first weekend for another three years. I think that's very acceptable, very realistic for the UNLV basketball program. Um, and I think that is success. And I think there's going to be people that differ from that, that definition of it, but so be it. But I think that is a realistic expectation and approach and something to try to achieve here at UNLV with the basketball program just from the time that I've spent attached and connected and a part of the program dating back to 2004. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was going to go with. Because, again, you're coming from this perspective as a former Rebel, a UNLV alum. And, again, you've consistently been attached, even as an assistant coach, like you said, after your playing days. You played here and you were part of this when UNLV was still relevant, when they had good crowds at the Thomas and Mack Center. And so when you've seen what has transpired over the years, you know, since kind of those glory days, how does this make you feel as a former player, a former alum? I think the biggest thing, and I've shared this before on the UNLV broadcast, and you guys have heard me share it. I've been on with you guys numerous times. It's, it's hardest for me to call the games and to be around the program because I care, uh, for lack of better terms, I care so damn much mm-hmm. that it hurts, right? And it's, it's hard when there's not success, and it's hard when you can't say something or be a part of something and help be a part of the change because it's not, it's not within – just your realm or within reach of you know, I mean, your job duties, your description, your role. And I think the fact that um, UNLV has been up and down, it, it hurts me a lot even more so now because of my position in terms of calling the games with John Sandler um, on the UNLV broadcast through Learfield IMG that we're around these guys all the time. And I love it because it gave me, I, have a, I have a big sense of pride if anybody knows me and knows how I feel about UNLV. I'm going to ride with us to the death. Um, even if it's against something I disagree with, I'm going to be logical and try to find the positive in it because I think that we are one of the special places in college basketball, and let alone Las Vegas is one of the special places in this country and in this world in terms of the community. But it hurts because now, especially with Coach Lou Hill passing away um, back in February, I've been in constant contact with a lot of guys that I played with before me and after me, um, and it's it's I get texts all the time. I got a bunch of texts yesterday. I had a couple phone calls with some former guys that played there recently, uh, and it's it's all the same program. Like, okay, what's next? Now what do we do? Um, but it all comes from a place of they want it badly just as much as I do, just as much as the season ticket holder, as the alumni, as the people in the community, because we all want that to be successful because we all have a strong tie to it in terms of what that program means to us, whether it's us as players and we made our runs um, during my years uh, as a Rebel, or if it's people in the community that were here when LJ and Stacey Ogden and Greg Anthony, those guys made runs to the Final Four in the National Championship. Everybody has a tie to the same feeling because I, don't, I think it's undeniable that when UNLV basketball is successful, when UNLV basketball 
um, is consistently competing in the conference and making tournaments. Um, and feeling that Thomas and Mac, there is no better feeling in this city than when UNLV basketball is doing good and things are going the right direction. Is there something about the electricity in that place? I've talked about when they do the fireworks, I still get goosebumps. There's something special about that. Now, I know we've got the Raiders here. You've got the Aces. Uh, it's, it's just different when you talk about college athletics and what it means to the true core of it with these young men that are going out there and competing, um, being selfless for themselves, for the school, for the community, as opposed to professionals. I love pro sports, but there's a different vibe, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. And I think that's what we need to get back not just in Vegas, but with UNLV, not just with basketball, with football, but with all the other sports. Because, again, there's women diving just won a conference championship. There are a lot of sports on campus that are successful. But when they're all doing great, positive things, this community is something different. And I think that's a big thing of what we need to get back to, especially coming out of the year that we just had going through the pandemic. Curtis, you mentioned the fact that um, you, know, you want stability in the coaching ranks and everything else, and certainly that's important. But to win basketball games, the bottom line is you have to get the best recruits out there. What is the best selling point for a recruiter to pitch to a kid about coming to UNLV? And what's maybe one of the negatives or the stigma that they have to go against that other coaches are telling kids why they shouldn't come to UNLV, whether it's true or not, and it's probably not in most cases? Uh, I think, well, yeah, you're right, 100%. You've got to get stability. You've got to get players. Now, it's, it depends on how you go about your recruiting philosophies. If guys want to go out and try to get those blue-chip recruits, that, that you can do. But, again, the fear is, are they going to stick around? Are they going to be invested um, and be selfless for the betterment of the team and the program? Or do you go and kind of get those program builder guys that are going to be here two, three, four years, maybe five because they're redshirt or they got to develop? Um, if you bring in a transfer or a JUCO guy, guys that are willing to, you mean, lay it on the line um, – for something higher and bigger than themselves because they, they need and want and love this opportunity so much, and but most importantly want to compete in our competitors and just love the game of basketball. I think that's how you go about it. In terms of trying to convince kids to come here, first of all, I think the biggest thing, and when I first came down, my mom was like, Vegas? There's no way in hell I'm letting you go to Vegas. Because, again, who wants to send their kids to Vegas, right? Even as, I mean, now I'm 35, my mom's like, how do you guys live there? And you guys go out? I'm like, no, mom's not like that. But there's just such a stigma around Vegas itself, right? Um, but at the same time, who doesn't like to go to Vegas? Now, if parents or recruits want to come to town, I mean, there's always great places to come visit. Uh, me and my wife, again, pre-COVID and post-COVID, once this thing is all safe and well vaccinated, we're going to go back to dinners, go back to shows. Um, you need to go on staycation, stay at these strip properties, because there's no better place than to have this as your backyard. And I think for guys that are, that are going to be rebels, uh, current or future, that life after basketball, the ball stops bouncing. And I can talk about a number of guys um, that come back that are still here that are doing stuff in the community that are having great success because they were UNLV running Rebels, and this community looks out for its own. Um, and I think that's the big thing in terms of what this community really is and taking care of each other um, and looking out for each other. Um, and that's the reason why me and my family, we moved back here. I mean, it's, I've had other opportunities to go coach, and I always said, like, ah, being a grad assistant is a tough call trying to make that leap to get your foot in the door. There was only two places I would have did it. That would have been trying to go with Coach Lauren Kruger because I, I appreciate and respect everything he does as a coach. Uh, but also it would have been in Vegas, regardless who the coach was, because I know this community and city is going to have my back regardless of what happens. Um, and so I think it's, it's a big sense of community that we've got to kind of get back within the program. And regardless of the coaches X, Y, or Z, we've got to believe in that coach and in their plan and give them the time to do so. Uh, because, again, like I said, I think TJ was heading in the right direction. Now if he does end up leaving, I think we're going to be stalled a little bit in that unless you keep some kind of continuity um, and keep somebody in here or get somebody in here that really loves the program, is about this program, and is about it for the right reasons. 
Great stuff, uh, Curtis. Uh, appreciate your time today. And again, fantastic passion, being a former rebel. And again, you could just, uh, you know, you can hear how you feel. And I think a lot of people in this town feel the exact same way that you do as well, too. Everyone wants to see UNLV succeed. This is a better city when UNLV is successful in the basketball court and in athletics. So uh, great stuff, my friend. Uh, did you make a good sandwich today for the kids? Uh, we, uh, you probably went with, uh, more than peanut butter and jelly, something really strong there. Yeah, they had a little bit something better than that. We had a little bit of let- <laughs> leftover, what my kids called cheesy, cheesy pasta masterpiece. So they had a, they had some leftover dinner from last night for lunch. But uh, the, the kids are doing good. <laughs> good to hear, my friend. All right, we'll continue to watch the story. Appreciate your time today, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. And, again, uh, we will get you back on here so we can actually talk some brackets and some March Madness here in the next couple of days as well, too, on the next week, if that's cool with you. Yes, sir. You guys know where to find me. I'm sure I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Here is former running rebel Curtis Terry, also former assistant coach as well, too, here at UNLV. His heart, his passion, definitely into this. And again, nothing official, but uh, we will continue to follow this story with T.J. Altsberger uh, potentially leaving here to go to Iowa State. I'm a little surprised right now because when he said that he created a sandwich, a cheese and pasta masterpiece, I was expecting you to say, well, send me a picture. i got to see what this looks like. I, what exactly is that? You know, I, I guess I'm so focused on basketball here today, I guess I missed the boat on that you're, one. You're off your foot game. Uh, well, you know me. I'm a restaurant guy, you know? You know? I know, like, when, when Quake makes his stuff at home, I just, you know, he wants to send me the pictures. I just kind of say, uh, just, you know. Slow your roll on that a so little bit. So you're a food snob. Yeah. I, it's, I not, can't. it's not made in a restaurant. You don't care. Yeah. Popcorn's got to be hot and fresh. Well, the food's got to be true. restaurant it's prepared. It's true. It's funny you, you bring this up because, believe it or not, I had a home-cooked meal last night. Home-cooked and with ribs. Did some ribs. And I thought about taking pictures. I did. But I said, you know what? And I don't know if it's camera worthy or not. It looked pretty good. It tasted really good. But, yeah, I don't do a whole bunch of of home cooked meal pictures. I've, I've done it on occasion, but it's hard to compare to those those great spots like at the Cosmopolitan. Well, plus it, 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 Holy cow. Plus, plus it's hard to get a home cooked meal to sponsor the show. <laughs> this is a good point. Very nice. There we go. A lot of times it costs me more money to cook that meal at home. I had to go buy the ribs and yeah, all that other sure. kind of stuff. And, and you know what I don't like about it? Why I don't eat out? Uh, why I don't eat at home so much? You, the you cleanup, do, man. I was going to say you have to do the dishes. I can't afterwards. stand the cleanup. Especially when you're doing like ribs and that kind of stuff. Especially if you do the ribs in the oven and getting the sauce off the pan and everything. Exactly. Yeah. So not photo worthy. You have to do the cleanup. I probably, it probably would have been photo worthy, but yeah, just I don't know. Wasn't feeling it, but I don't know. There you go. All right. Appreciate Curtis Terry for joining us. All right. When we come back, uh, we will get some more thoughts from more UNLV coaches. We're going to talk to the head women's basketball coach. She's going to join us, Lindy. La Rock, she is going to join us. A lot of fun, from what I understand. So uh, we will dive into that. Next hour, Nick Bogdanovich from William Hill, as we start breaking down the brackets, tell you where all that money's moving. We've got that and a whole lot more coming your way. Yes, it is a Wednesday edition. T.C. Martin Show, along with yours truly in Ballpark Frank. <laughs> Check out his big stethoscope. Or not. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, we continue on here on a Wednesday. Glad to have you with us. Don't forget, we will be at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Friday for Hoops and Hops. Numchuck and I were over there checking out the scene earlier today. 
Oh, yeah, it's looking pretty nice. Probably hopping over there right now. It's St. Paddy's Day. This is true. I know. I saw a lot of people wearing green. Nunchuck had no green on today whatsoever. Did anybody pinch him? Not that I saw, but I'm trying to... I don't think my eyes would want to see that. He probably doesn't wear green hoping somebody will pinch him. (laughs) Well, the place place he usually hangs out at, eh, I don't know if he went... Yeah, I'm going to just leave it at that. There it is. Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas will be inside the Chelsea... Uh, definitely a sellout crowd expected. There still may be some seats on the couch, but go to the website, CosmopolitanLasVegas.com for hoops and hops. It is the extravaganza. It is back. It'll be happening on Friday and Saturday for the first round action this year inside the Chelsea Two separate parties uh, down below and upstairs. If you've ever been to the Chelsea, great concert venue, great boxing venue, and uh, it'll be a great venue to watch the best March Madness party ever. TVs everywhere. Everywhere. Gigantic TVs. I mean, 200-foot TVs. How crazy does that sound? We so, to, 200 we get, feet. We get to take one of those home after the games? I don't think you'll be able to lift it. So, But if you want, you know, go for it. I have a couple friends that might be able to help. Yeah. <laughs> Watch the movie Tower Heist. See how they uh, you know, got the car out of the window? You want to pull one of those moves? You ever see that movie? No. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Eddie Murphy, uh, Ben Stiller, Alan Alda, pretty good cast. Yeah, Alan Alda had had a car, a vintage car, uh, made out of gold. And they were hiding the gold in the car. So they decided to get it out of the tower with the help of Eddie Murphy, of course. But, yeah, he wasn't from Zamunda in this movie, though. So you're saying that uh, 30 years later there won't be a Tower Heist 2? Or... <laughs> I hope not. I hope not, please. But you never know, right? Jeez. Craziness. All right. All right. So uh, we appreciate Curtis Terry for joining us, talking a little UNLV basketball, the situation there on the men's side with TJ Altselberger. Our next guest is the head coach on the women's side, and she is in her, just completed her first season there with the Running Rebels. And uh, not only is she a former. Um, a, a former Las Vegan. I mean, she is a native Las Vegan, played at Durango High back in the day, had a great career. Um, you know, here and also at Stanford, uh, where she was an assistant coach under Tara Vandeveer, and now leading the Run and Rebels, and they had a fantastic season. Lindy LaRock joins us. What is up, Lindy? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Hey, glad to have you uh, on the program here today. And, uh, you know, we've been following your team during the course of this year. Uh, you had a great season. Unfortunately, probably ended a little bit prematurely that you liked. A little premature for all of us here, but uh, congratulations on a first season. Thank you. I appreciate it. it uh, you guys know it's kind of been a crazy year, and for uh, my first first year in this seat, um, you know, really proud of kind of how, how we were able to come together and get some wins, and like you said, you know, maybe ended a little bit short, but um, all in all, it doesn't take away from, you know, kind of a, a pretty uh, overachieving, you know, first year in, in a lot of respects. So the team pretty much did exceed expectations of what you thought coming in here, right? I mean, considering where the program has been in years past, you guys were very, very successful. But if we're being honest here, I think you already said it, you feel like the team exceeded expectations? I mean, personally, yes. I mean, absolutely. Um, You know, with getting hired during a pandemic, not having access to the team all spring, all summer, you know, really finally getting together for the first time October 1st, and we had to play a game, you know, six weeks later. Um, you know, considering all of that, I mean, really, you know, 
honestly, I didn't know how many games we were going to win or what we were going to do, and I didn't really kind of have a set goal or expectation, but I definitely, you know, wasn't sure we were going to be able to do what we did, um, you know, so re- really happy with that and for sure um, exceeding expectations. And you talked about the first time being in that seat as a head coach, even though you're one of the perennial programs as an assistant there at Stanford. Talk a little bit about maybe what was the the, the biggest challenge or maybe surprise that you had as you made that leap from assistant coach to head coach. Well, you know, uh, you can be an assistant all your life and you're for however many years and, you know, dream and think about and prepare to be a head coach, but Honestly, until you are in the seat, you have absolutely no idea, no idea. Um, just the you know amount of um, responsibility and the magnitude of every decision and relationship and conversation and every word that you say in practice, how much weight that carries, you know, um, it just it's so different, and you don't truly understand until you're in the position. Um, and there's there's kind of nothing like it, you know. It's a, it's an incredible responsibility, um, and it's and it's such a privilege, um, you know. So it, you know, you can prepare and and read as many books and do as many things as you can, but until you're there, it's like man, you know, it, it kind of whacks you over the head a little bit. You know, you mentioned the fact of no idea, and it seems like a lot of people out here had no idea what you were doing when you guys played Stanford. They questioned why you would play that game, but. In the long run and the success that your team had, especially on the road later on in the season, how meaningful was that game? Because you got to show your team exactly what they aspire to be someday down the road in that. And although certainly Stanford won the game and they won it handily, you learned a lot from it and they saw greatness on the court. So in the long run, do you think that was the best move? Because I thought when all was said and done, it was a brilliant move on your part. I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, obviously it wasn't really um, on the schedule to begin with. We had a cancellation. Stanford had a cancellation, and it kind of just, you know, some different timing and stars aligned there. But looking back, you know, at, at, at the time, I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I? What are we getting ourselves into? But, um, you know, we battled, and that is the best team in the country, hands down, you know, and really like head and shoulders above you know, in my personal opinion, any other team and for our team to go up against them, to have success, um, you know, in certain areas, obviously we didn't beat them, but we battled um, and we were fearless. And, you know, those were things that as the season went on, it was like, okay, we're not going to play anyone better than what we've already played. You know, we've played the best team in the country. You know, this isn't going to be them. Um, You know, so we kind of drew back on that and I think it helped give us confidence and, you know, especially at the beginning of the year, um, you know, I really, uh, I, I kind of even questioned it myself, you know, what am I doing? You know, in a lot of ways, I was just trying to really help a, a mentor and, you know, a, a great friend and Tara just kind of help them get in a good spot. But, you know, I really think it, like you said, it, it helped propel us and help prepare, you know, our young women for, you know, some great success that we had throughout the season. Lindy LaRock joins us, UNLV women's head coach, talking about the Lady Rebels and her first season at the helm. Lindy, going back to, to Stanford and Tara, uh, you know, there is a big difference 
in the power women's programs. And obviously, we talk about Stanford. We talk about UConn. You can throw others in there as well as Baylor, Notre Dame. In comparison to a lot or majority of the other women's programs, what did you take from your time at Stanford and then now basically starting here at UNLV and trying to aspire to you know a higher degree? What can you take from Stanford, what you learned from Tara, as well as seeing and, and competing against the best competition in the land? The biggest takeaways are excellence and hard work. And, you know, having a standard and expectation of excellence and not lowering it for anything and then working your tail off to meet that, to make it happen and to not settle for anything less. I mean, um, it in a lot of ways, you know, that was the best of the best. And it's it doesn't just happen overnight and it doesn't just happen because, you know, they have a name or they have the university or, or whatever it is. It's because that's the standard. That's the expectation of excellence, and then there is a ton of work that goes into it. It just, you know, you don't just think about it and it shows up. Um, you know, so I, I learned kind of that, that high standard, and then I really learned the work that has to go in to, you know, the easiest thing is to be successful for one year. You know, even for us this year, I'm like, great, we had some great success. The hardest part is to be consistent. That's the hardest part. Um, and for programs, you know, like Stanford, like UConn, um, Baylor, the, those ones that you named, um, they have that consistent excellence. So, you know, that that's kind of what I'm bringing, you know, to UNLV, to our Lady Rebel program. We're kind of already on our way, you know, but like I said, we're not there yet. Um, and it's going to continue to be, you know, we're not there yet. You have to constantly um, keep it in the forefront of our minds to work um, towards that excellence um, you know, so you don't get complacent. Well, so what differences do you feel that you maybe instituted or maybe even from your players' perspective? Because you took over a program from Kathy Oliver, and all those players, where most of the players had played for her before, and this is your first year here. How did you put your stamp, basically, on this program? What were some of the differences between maybe what she was doing and what you're doing? Um, well, I think... First, you know, I hired a great staff, and you you guys know, like, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So um, hiring a great staff was um, key for, for us and for kind of me and the program. Um, and then from a basketball standpoint, you know, frankly, um, I have almost a completely opposite basketball philosophy of what of the style of play that, you know, they had played in the years past. Um, you know, they had some great success, but they were, you know, a super defensive, low scoring, grinded out, um, you know, just kind of, you know, big, big woman basketball, so to say. Um, and for me, uh, you know, I want to run and gun. I want to play fast. I want to score a lot of points. Um, I want to get up and down. I want to shoot a lot of threes. Um, and we are going to guard our tails off, you know, defense is is our is still part of our identity, but we want to score a lot of points. You know, we don't want to play in the 50s. We want to play in the 70s, the 80s. Um, so from a basketball standpoint, you know, that I think that was a drastic change, especially for our players, you know, who are playing one style, and then now I'm asking them to do some completely opposite. You can imagine how practices look different, how they feel different, different drills that a lot of them, frankly, maybe hadn't done in a, in a long time, if ever. Um you know, so that, that, those are kind of some of the main differences. And then, 
you know, obviously I wasn't around or a fly on the wall in the last couple of years. And so all I kind of know is what we, what we instilled and what we expect. Um, and it's just really that it's a high expectation, a high standard of, of behavior, of effort, of energy and character. And frankly, we're not going to tolerate anything below the standard because, um, that's how we're going to get to where we want to get to. So you had an interesting time to have your first season as a head coach. You're head coaching at UNLV. You played one of, if not the best team in women's college basketball, and you had to deal with all the COVID issues and everything else that is basketball in 2021. Is there anything that they can throw at you next year that you're not ready for now, and what are you looking forward to going ahead? Maybe a little bit of normalcy again? <laughs> I mean, I guess we're 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 prepared for anything. So um, it only should hopefully get easier from here on out. Um, I, you know, I I don't know if if anything. It's been great. It's it's frankly been great to be a brand new head coach and all of this craziness because we've known no different. You know, I've known no different except for testing three times a week and protocols and this and that. Um, so if anything, yeah, like you said, it'll be maybe um, maybe relieving, maybe a little less kind of on our plate to not have to do some of the different craziness. But, um, you know, each year is a challenge, and, and this year has been even more so. So um, I'm excited for hopefully getting back to some normalcy. But, you know, we, we, we just got to take it one day at a time and do the very best we can and, frankly, do whatever they ask of us so we can be out on the court. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lindy LeRock joins us, the UNLV women's head coach. Okay, so i got to give a little shout-out here, a little uh, from a personal side here. So you got uh, uh, someone that I know on your team. Actually, I know her dad really well, and that's Nia Johnson. She's a Sacramento girl, and actually her, and, yeah. uh, her dad actually played for me back in the day. Uh, you know, when I was coaching in Sacramento. So uh, and I know they're probably listening right now, too. So at least uh, her dad is probably listening. But uh, talk a little bit about Nia, because she had one heck of a season. Very proud of her and uh, representing Sacktown. So, uh, you know, nice job coaching her. But give me some thoughts about Nia. Let's hear it now. Yeah, Sacktown's finest. Um, <laughs> you know, Nia, Nia will always, uh, I've told her this before, you know, she'll be special in my life um, forever. Um, she is the first player that has ever committed to play to me. Um, you know, obviously there was the returning squad, and we kind of had to fill a roster spot. And, um, frankly, we picked Nia, she picked us. And so, um, you know, Nia will always kind of for sure have a special place in my heart um, because of that. And then, you know, to see her have some success this year was great. You know, I think um, obviously she's she's a veteran player. She, you know, played at Bakersfield, then went to junior college. So, if anything, she had some great experience. Um, you know, but then maybe it took her, you know, a little while to like fully buy into what we were what we were wanting from her, what we were asking, what are we we needed her to do. Um, you know, she had some hesitation for some good reason. Uh, and then once she just kind of was vulnerable and and did it and you know, committed to just practicing hard every day. Um, you know, she had some really great success. So it was, you know, happy for her individually. Um, you know, honestly, she does, she'll be the first one to tell you, you know, she doesn't win those kind of individual things or score those points, you know, by herself. We all know it's a team game, you know, so she helped our team be successful, which is the best part. Um, you know, so I'm ex- excited for her senior year and, um, you know, I, I hope she really, you know, has a sense of urgency for the senior year to uh, continue to, you know, put the gas pedal down and, and want and work for even more.
I love it, Linda. You're recruiting Sacktown. All right, I want to go with you next time on a Sacramento recruiting trip, okay? I'll take you to all my great right. food dives, and we'll do some serious recruiting and some, some serious eating. Are you down for that? Hey, I'm down. There's some ballers up there, so let's, let's get on it. You got that right. How, how excited are you to be back and to get the opportunity to be back in people's living rooms recruiting again instead of over Zoom? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm itching at the bit. We still kind of have this dead period uh, through the end of April, right. and we'll kind of see what, um, you know, or, or I guess maybe May. So we'll see what the NCAA does. But I'm itching at the bit. I'm, you know, I think I'm like the rest of y'all. I'm, you know, I'd rather be sitting in the gym watching games all day instead of sitting in my living room trying to, like, not get too distracted watching them on live stream and live feed. So it's not the same, you know, and I feel for some of these young kids. It's just, you know, it, it it's probably the hardest on them, um, you know, trying to get exposure and everything. So we're ready to get back in the gyms, back in people's houses, and, and really get some face time. So we're, we're patiently waiting, but uh, we're eager at the same time. All right, we've got March Madness, uh, of course. Everyone's excited, not only just uh, on the men's side, but the women's side as well, too. And I personally uh, look at uh, quite a bit of the, of the women's games, uh, you know, in the, in the NCAA tournament. Of course, my connection with the Aces and everything. So I, I love it. And obviously, Stanford is a fantastic program. So give me your final four on the women's side. I don't know if you've got a chance to really look at the bracket and dive into it from the women's side, but who should we look forward to potentially cutting down the nets in San Antonio on April the 4th? Well, I think you guys know kind of my who my number one pick is. I'm, yeah. I'm a little biased. Uh, yeah, you're to, a homer. To my I get it. Cardinal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, and again, so and then they're strong, a powerhouse again. Yeah. Well, you know they've got some really high expectations, so um, you know they gotta they gotta do the work and and you know show up and play. Um, but there's there you know it's been great to kind of see some more parity in, in the women's game, and it's really taking off. Obviously, Paige Becker's at UConn you know, really a talented freshman, which is, you know, just phenomenal to watch. I mean, she's a pro already. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy watching NC State. I know these are a couple number one seeds, so you're like, oh, you're just you're just picking out the one seeds. But, um, but that usually you know, I'm, I'm what transpires in the game. women's game, to be to be fair. I mean, the, the, the one seeds are so dominant, you know. The one and twos are really dominant. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, a lot of times, you know, they – the top eight, ten teams seem to kind of create some separation to be, um, you know, far and above the rest. But I'm, I'm hoping there's some good upsets for us. You know, Iowa has, you know, talk about Paige Beckard, Caitlin Clark. If you haven't looked her up, man, she is, like, amazing to watch. Like, a Steph Curry uh, or whatever you want to call it, she's averaging the most points in, in the country and seven assists at the same time. She's, like, got, like, 26 points and seven assists. Um, so Iowa, just a huge offensive output team. You know, and I think they're like a seven seed or, you know, an eight seed maybe. So they could kind of cause some people some problems. But I'm hoping for some good upsets. I, I worked at Belmont back in the day. Those are my, my Bruins. Yeah. They're 12 seed, um, you know, playing Gonzaga, which I also am a, a Zags fan too. So I'm excited for that game. But, uh, you know, just excited to watch some hoops. I'm so fortunate and, and grateful that they're they're having the tournament and having it safely and, you know, just want everyone to kind of stay safe and 
give us some some good entertainment, some good ball to watch, and uh, enjoy it. You know, March Madness. All right, Lindy. Now, I don't know if you're familiar or not that you know we have our own bracket here too. I mean, we're looking at the men's bracket, we're looking at the women's side, but we have our <laughs> own TC Martin Show bracket that you are going to be a part of. You don't even know it yet, but you're going to be part of this. It is back All by right. popular demand, Cereal Madness, Lindy. That's right. So we okay. need your go-to cereal. We're going to have an entrant for you. What is your go-to cereal that we are going to put in our bracket? The Lindy oh, LaRock like the, cereal. Is it the twelve-year-old Lindy, or Lindy's <laughs> trying to be healthy, and that's the cereal? Uh, you you know, we get we get that all the time from from our guests. You know, I'm gonna say, I like the I like the twelve-year-old uh, Lindy. What's, what's the one that brings you enjoyment? There you go, right. Captain Crunch with berries. That's it. That's the good one. Oh, there it is, Captain Crunch with berries. Wow, with berries. You can't, you're not playing. You got. Critical. Now you you can't sit there and say that you don't you know still dive into that. Okay, I mean that better be in your cupboard still. And don't give me that it's not right. healthy. Come on. <laughs> During the basketball season, of course, you know I need some of that comfort food. <laughs> there, there you go. All right, good. Okay, so out of curiosity, what is the healthy cereal? Uh, honey bunches of oats with almonds. Still not a bad backup. You know, I'd, I'd say that's probably more like an, uh, a six or seven seed, though, Lindy. I mean, anything with Captain yeah. Crunch is going to be a one or two seed. Definitely a healthy option, so. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Okay. Well, you guys will have to let me know how I, how I fare in the bracket. And, oh. uh, well, you know. well, if you're a big, and if you are a big cereal connoisseur, we'll put you on the panel because, you know, our guests come in and they really determine everything here. They give us the nominations, and then our guests have to come back here and actually break down the cereal. So I don't know if you can break down, you know, the, like, say, for example, if you've got the, uh, you know, the Crunch Berries going against Apple Jacks, if you can really, you know, put on, like, your, your headset there at courtside and, uh, and break it down for us. I, I, I would love to come in the studio, go live with you guys. I can do that. Okay, I mean, you got you got to be really talking to us here about you know how you know once that that those crunch berries hit the milk and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I expect some good X's and O's here. I want to clear out on the right side. You know, good pick and roll. You know, you got to break it down. Maybe buddy. complain about the seed that TC ends up giving your cereal. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I can do that. You know, I've seen a few games in my day, so I go. can I can be a good broadcaster. Oh, that's awesome. All right, Lindy, we appreciate uh, the time. Uh, We will look forward to talking with you here in the very near future. Enjoy the madness on the men's side, the women's side, and the cereal side as well, too. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. And looking forward to talking with you some more. You got it. Take care. There she is. All right. Lindy LaRock, head coach at UNLV. Coming off that first season, number two seed. We were hoping that they gave it a run, but... They got upset in that second round against uh, Wyoming, but uh, I like Lindy. A lot of fun. And again, and I know that, uh, that Nia Johnson loves playing for her as well, too. So, And she likes Sacktown. Loves Vegas. Likes Sacktown. And then coaching under you know Tara Vandeveer, one of the legends. You know, Hall of Famer. Great stuff. And says Captain Crunch with berries is the Stanford Cardinal of the cereal world. <laughs> what do you think? You Crunch Berry guy? No. Not at all? I told I, I am super plain, dude. Rice Krispies or cornflakes, and with no milk. Wait, just you don't them like down. sugar? Is that what you're trying to tell me? You don't like sugar? I don't. I haven't had sugar in my house in 30 years. I don't have salt in my house in 30 years. But no. he, but but he'll sit here and drink six Coca Colas a day. You know there is sugar in there. Do we? Yes, get, I know. That's uh, what I wash my Rice Krispies down with. <laughs> 
So Ballpark Frank is going to go a new entry. He's going to go the Rice Krispies with Coca-Cola substituting for the milk. Yeah, but I don't, no, I don't pour it on it. Oh, you don't? No. You just No, you, I eat it dry out of the box, and then I'll take a swig of Coke. So no milk? No. Dry Rice Krispies. So why not try pouring it on? Might be good if you're doing the I same have. thing. I have. I don't like it. You have? Excuse me. I didn't know you tried it, Mikey. Yes. Jeez. No, some of my friends back home said, well, you can't pour it on there, so I did. It wasn't very good. Yeah, I don't think it would be very good. It, it, it's not good with milk making it soggy. Soggy Coke on Rice Krispies, also not good. Hour number two coming your way. Nick Bogdanovich, we start breaking down the brackets from uh, William Hill. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you on a Wednesday.